Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth. I'm with Mike Howerton, of course. And we've got all the news of the billiard world for you. Plus, we've got an interesting interview with Mr. Alan Hopkins coming up a little bit later in the show, so stay with us for that. Please do remember that Run Out Radio, along with AZ Billiards and AZB-TV, are all brought to you by advertisers without them we have no websites so do sponsor i mean do support our sponsors uh in particular let's talk about obqs they make the ob1 shaft and for those of you who are going to be at the super billiards expo here in a couple of weeks obqs has a surprise for you that they're going to unveil there that's all i'm going to say but uh it's interesting so come by the ob booth at the Super Billiards Expo. We're also brought to you by Border Billiards, and you can uh, check out their webpage at borderbilliards.com, and as well as by Corey and Tony, the good people at Tiger Products. Uh, Their sniper tip is about the hottest thing on the market, and they've got a lot of good products for you, so check out Tiger Products as well, tigerproducts.com. Uh, Mike, we got a lot to talk about this week, not the least of which is a failure, the NACPBA. Yeah, well, I guess you can't really say that the tour crashed and burned because it was never really flying, but sure enough, the announcement, we knew there was going to be a press release this week, and at the time of us making this recording, which is Tuesday, the press release has not come out yet, but both you and I have heard from a number of people close to what's going on that the press release that will be out on Wednesday will be that they've decided to pull the plug on the whole idea. And that's a shame. And there there are a lot of people who can say, I told you so. And uh, that's great. I hope they feel good about that. But uh, it's a shame because... Um, they had some pretty exciting plans. Um, I don't like. We won't know why they decided to pull the plug until we read the press release. Maybe not then. It depends on whether or not they wish to release it. I imagine some of it has to do with uh, Tim Dennis, the head honcho, is in declining health, and I would not want to try and get this thing off the ground if I were having health issues. That plus um, we heard through the grapevine, although this is nothing more than rumor, that some of the financial backers had decided to um, withdraw their offer. So whatever the reason, um, the NACPBA is not going to be the savior of American Pool as we had hoped, and that sure would have been nice because it would have given the players a very nice payday. In fact, it would have given them 22 very nice paydays. Again, I, I think you have to – it seems almost like that the IPT syndrome um, that they wanted to come out, they wanted to hit a home run, $22 million. Again, I don't think it takes $22 million to run a men's tour for three years. It would be nice if, if you could have $22 million to run a men's tour, but I just think that – Maybe nowadays people want to make such a big splash and throw around all those zeros that they set themselves up for failure in the beginning. I mean, you just can't, I don't know that you can live up to that kind of hype. Well, that's a big point because you've got to have a business plan that works. And no business plan that works involves shoveling money out the door and not pulling any in. Um, that was the problem with the IPT. There was no way for it to make any money. And that was one of the problems with the NACPBA. There was just no way for it to turn a profit. They were planning on sponsorship um, coming in and carrying the load. And those of us who have been around the billiard industry for too many years uh, know that sponsor dollars are very hard to come by. It is not a huge marketplace and um, that the marketplace is filled with a lot of small companies rather than a few large ones so it's really difficult to pull the sponsorship in to support anything that's major 
Alan Hopkins, uh, I'm sure, will be speaking to this subject because it's dear to his heart, uh, and he's having a million-dollar event later in the year that doesn't rely on sponsorship, so we'll wait and let him talk about that. Yeah, and I mean, I do think that the business plan comment had a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, we were certainly not privy to everything that went on inside the offices of the NACPBA, but there did seem to be a little bit of waffling back and forth. We're doing this, we're doing that. Maybe someone got a little bit too enthusiastic within the organization and they might have had a little bit more success if they had been able to get all their ducks in a row before the website had broke. And, you know, I'll be perfectly honest, part of the blame for something like that comes down to, well, to be brutally honest, to people like myself. Um, I run AZ Billiards and we are interested in getting the scoop. We want to get information out there to the fans as quickly as possible. And sometimes in that enthusiasm to get that story out, maybe we get stories out before they're really ready to be broke. Yeah, but you know what? I prefer that side of the coin. Um, aggressive journalism is what the web is all about. And, um, You've got to get that story out as soon as possible. And we are not here to be cheerleaders. Uh, we're just here to report what's going on, and I don't think we ever stepped over that line. No, I hope not. It does leave us in the same situation that we were in six months ago. Uh, now that we know they're not going to be the saviors of the men's pool scene, um, where does this leave the men's pool scene? Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, it leaves it where it was before, which is stuck in the middle of a desert in a car with four flat tires. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> luckily, it's not that way anywhere but America. Uh, no. It is very strong in Asia and Europe and, uh, and growing stronger. And uh, given enough time, it has to pick up here as well. Well, I do think it has to pick up. I, I think that we're not going to be having this conversation forever. I mean, there is eventually going to be some organization that comes together that does something within reason for the American men's pool scene and with everything going on out there, and we're going to talk about some of those things here as we get deeper into the news, with everything going on all across the world, successfully in pool, America is, just seems to be the, the one that's lacking the most. But I do think it's going to happen. Personally, I think it's going to have to come with, from within the industry. Um, I think the WPBA is successful within the industry, and while they would certainly like to be more successful, even if the men had something like that, it would be a huge step forward. I agree, um, because the men are now playing, well, except for a couple of big tournaments, uh, such as the U.S. Open and Derby City, um, the only thing left is the regional tours, and the men are participating in that. In fact, we had some big-name pros participating in regional tours this past weekend. Yeah, certainly. Uh the Joss Tour had their 10th annual Turning Stone Classic. Actually, it's not an annual. They hold, they hold two of them every year. Um, 25,000 added. This tournament has always drawn some of the top players. Uh, no exception this year. Johnny, Mika, Dennis Hatch, a number of top players. This one was won by Johnny Archer again. He's won this one in the past. Uh, Johnny's actually on quite a bit of a roll lately. He won the Jay Swanson Memorial, I believe it was the week before that. It makes me wonder if that loss to Shane in Reno at the end of last year, right before Moscone Cup, maybe didn't come as a splash of cold water on his face saying, hey, wait a minute, you're going to have to up your game a level. And he appears to have upped his game a level. He does appear to um, be splashing some water on his face, doesn't he? Because... He's won three events now in three weeks. Uh, he won uh, Shannon's event as well. Um, and uh, you mentioned the Swanson event and uh, now the Turning Stone event. Uh, he's, he's really on a nice roll. 
it was interesting. I was talking to somebody about the Turning Stone event, and and Johnny had a little bit of a scare early in the tournament. He ran into Dave Fernandez. Now, Dave is a, a regional player from the East Coast, plays very strong, and Dave took him to Hill Hill before Johnny won the match. And yeah. I was talking to this person, and I said, well, you know, Johnny got a little bit of a scare. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe this isn't the tournament for him to run away with. And it dawned on me, I had had that conversation a few times in the past. Johnny seems to go into these big events, and he'll get a little bit of a scare early on, where maybe he'll go Hill Hill or maybe 9-7 or something like that, and it kind of gets his attention that he's not going to be able to just walk in and put his cue together and then, you know, notch up nine wins. But after that, he rolls. I mean, it, once they get his attention, it's a bad thing for the rest of the players because he just rolls through the field. You know, I think that happened to a lot of, of really top-name players where if they can get someone to shake them up early in the event, uh, from then on they're just a terror and they play up to their reputation. Uh, another big story out of the tournament was the player that took second place, a young player out of Connecticut by the name of Jeremy Saucy. A year ago, nobody really knew who Jeremy was, but... Now that he's really starting to make some noise out there, he won the Ocean State Championship late last year on the Joss Tour, and there were some some pretty heavy hitters in that field. And then over this last weekend, he scored some wins over some players on his early on in the tournament that I looked at and said, you know, those are those are some good wins, but they're not really really wins that make you say, wow. But when he got into the final four, he beat Ronnie Wiseman, which that's not an easy task. And then the big win when he went over, uh, Johnny beat him for the, the hot seat, but Jeremy went over to the one loss side and beat Dennis Hatch 9-2. Um, wow. Yeah. I spoke to uh, a gentleman that helps Mike with the tournaments over there, Mike Zuglin, and uh, I asked him about the win, and he said, Jeremy just played great. He said when he played a safety, he played a lockup safety. When he had shots, he made those shots. Dennis just had no chance to get anything going. And having spoke to Dennis earlier in the tournament, I knew how important this win was to him. So a lot of people are now talking about this Jeremy Saucy out of Connecticut saying that he's going to be the next big thing. Well... Maybe we can arrange a match between he and Shane and <laughs> let the two next big things get it on. For no, us. no, <laughs> Jerry, that's that's just not even fair. I mean, the the guy is getting some momentum going. He's getting some confidence, and you want to you want to set him up against Shane and just just snuff all that confidence right out of him, don't you? Well, no, you know, I just like to see people uh, meet challenges head on. And uh, Shane is definitely a head-on challenge. Well, um, actually, the uh, the Shane watch this week, he did play at Shooters in Olathe. Uh, Midwest Nine Ball Tour had a stop there, and Shane did not win. Son of a gun. Yeah, Sparky Farrell won the Nine Ball Division, and our guest from the last show, Buddy Hall, won the One Pocket Division. Great. Yeah, it's it's good every once in a while for for Shane to take a step back and allow the rest of the men's pro scene a chance to earn a little bit of that prize money. Well, you know, we have to, I have to wonder. In fact, I've been wondering about Shane since um, since he's made such a big splash lately. You know, over the years, I've seen seen players come and go, and they they'll come out and they'll have a hot year or a hot couple of years, and then they just disappear into the ether. And sometimes they come back, and sometimes they don't. Uh, so that's the real proof to the pudding for me, for, for Shane Van Boning. If he's still winning tournaments next year and the year after, um, then he's, he's the real deal. Um, but, I mean, he certainly appears to be the real deal now. Uh, but I've seen, uh, I mean, I remember when, uh, Tony Watson first hit the scene, and uh, he was unbeatable there. And um, where is he now? You know. Yeah. Well, uh, everybody remembers that year that Corey seemed to win every tournament that he played in. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go over to Paris. The Euro Tour held their first stop of the year, the Paris Open, and 
the Euro Tour, I think we had mentioned in the past how they almost always seem to have a new winner at each event, and this event was no different. Tony Drago got the win. Um, Tony, who played phenomenally at Moscone Cup, he's uh, he's taken that confidence and he's rolling with it. I wonder if his opponent had time to screw his cue stick together before Tony won the match. Uh, <laughs> Well, he uh, he went through Tomas Engert, Marcus Huva, and Christian Reimering, who had won the previous. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, those were his last three opponents, and those were not even the toughest opponents in the field. I mean, the Euro Tour, again, alluding back to the fact that Poole seems to be doing well over in Europe, they had all the monsters over there, uh, Nils and Marcus and Daryl and Ralph and Oliver and... Darren Appleton and Carl Boys. I mean, they were all there. They they have no problem filling those fields in those events. So Daryl Peach's agent has begun to allow him to play a game. Yeah, and, and a little bit later we will also touch on the fact that Daryl will be coming over here. Okay. What else you got? Well, uh, in my own backyard here in Phoenix, uh, Alexander's Sports Bar held the Desert Dust Off. Um, last year we drew uh, quite a few of the, the top pros from as far away as Texas, Canada. We still had quite a few really good players this year. Uh, Stan Tarango won the tournament. He beat Freddie Boggs in the finals. Um, yeah. They played for the hot seat. Freddie won. Uh, Stan went over to the one-loss side and played the last remaining Arizona player, Gus Brasino, and Stan squeaked by Gus in a close one, and he played Freddie in the finals, race to 13, three hours later, we finally had a winner, and when I say three hours, it was not on Stan that that match took three hours. Well, yeah, Okay. Uh, Stan had to cover some ground to get to Phoenix. Doesn't he live in Canada? Yeah, there were a handful of players from Canada. Uh, I think maybe they were coming over for the Reno Barbox event, and they just figured they would yeah. leave a little bit early and come through Phoenix, which is always good for the fans here in Phoenix. I, I do have to, I do have to say, I was at the final day of play on that, and you can take the idea of being a methodical player way too far. Um, <laughs> How long did the match take? <laughs> well, it took it took three hours, but it was, I mean, you look at the shot from every angle, you get down on it, you stand back up. You look at it again, you get down on it, you stand back up. I kid you not, Jerry, we were watching one time a player get down on a shot over and over again. My cell phone rang. It was Ralph Suquet on the phone saying, will you tell him just get down and hit the ball? Oh, no, no. It was bad. <sighs> but well, yeah. I, different players play different ways. I, I don't know. It was, it was refreshing to watch Gus Persino play. Now, Gus, I think Gus thinks that he gets extra points if he can make the balls before the cue ball stops rolling. I mean, he just walked around the table and fired balls in like with extreme confidence and as much as I enjoyed seeing Stan win the tournament I was kind of interested to see what would happen if Gus would have played Freddie in the finals because it would have been a very two very differing styles of play I wonder which one of them would have forced the other to adapt to his style but that didn't happen and, and Stan Stan played great uh, he had a big lead and Freddie put a put another come you know put a, a comeback together and I don't want listeners to get the wrong idea when I when I make a comment about the slow play. Freddie played outstanding. Uh, something I noticed while watching him play, he plays great shape. It's very precise. The cue ball moves as little as it possibly has to, but he gets perfect on balls. I mean, it, two players of that caliber, when they play an event like this on the bar table, it comes down to which one of them plays better safeties, which one of them kicks balls better, because if they had a shot on a ball, they were going to run out the rack. They both played outstanding. So I'm not taking yeah. anything away from Freddie in the way he, well, the way he played, yes. How he played, no. Uh, he played great. He just... But, Mike, you know, these, as you say, methodical players, I've never seen their game hurt in any way by the implement, implementation of a 30-second shot clock. So 
you know, that's my answer to that. Let's put everybody on a 30-second shot clock with a single extension per rack. Well, it's difficult in these regional events. Um, you know, these these room owners and these tournament directors, they're, str- they're struggling to run a field of, at this particular event, 91 players in two and a half days. Uh, although a shot clock probably would have helped because I know there were other players in the tournament that played slow and, and delayed things. I mean, the finals didn't start until 11, and we didn't get out of there until after 2. Well, um, had something interesting happened in, in Thailand, uh, the Thailand Nine Ball Open. Now, the story, as I understand it, uh, Pin Yi Ko, the player from Taiwan, is he 18 or 19 now? He's 19 now. Okay. He played Dennis Orcoyo in the finals, raced to 15, Dennis takes a 14 to 4 lead. Now, if I played at Dennis's speed and I had a 14 to 4 lead in the finals of a race to 15, I would be feeling pretty confident. Dennis didn't get to shoot again. You know, that's not at all hard to believe. I watched this boy play in Germany when he won the World Junior Championships last December, and he's absolutely unbelievable. What he can do with a cue ball. I haven't ever seen anyone else do, and that includes Shane and, and, and Buddy Hall and Earl Strickland and Johnny Archer. I have never seen anyone control that white ball the way Co does, and he's, he's been doing it now for at least three years, uh, play, playing on the junior scene. I can't wait for him to come out full-time on the pro scene because this kid takes it to another level. Well, he certainly must. Um, I haven't heard of anybody breaking and running 11 racks. Well, he went ahead to win that rack to get to to 14-5 and then broke and ran the next 10 racks. Um, Yeah. That's just, that amazes me. Wait till you see him in person. Well, we will get the opportunity to see him in person May 9th through 11th at the World Pool Masters. They have released their list of players, and right in the middle of it is Pin Yi Ko from Taipei. Don't bet against him. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it's going to be a tough field. We've got Daryl Peach, the, the reigning world champion, uh, Tomas Engert, Mika Eminen. You're never going to make a fortune betting against Mika. Nope. Tony Drago, who just won the Euro Tour. Shane Van Boning, Rodney Morris, uh, Bustamante and Pagulayan from the Philippines, Ko, uh, Fayan, Suke, Corey, Mark Gray from England, uh, Christian Reimering, Bruno Miratori. Did I spell? Did I pronounce that right? You got me. <laughs> and uh, Imran Majid fills out the field of sixteen. It's uh, the matchroom event, the Whirlpool Masters, be a single elimination, but that's definitely a tough field. Yeah, and any of our listeners who are planning on playing in the BCA Pool League National Championship, that's going to be run at the Riviera at the same time as the BCA Nationals. So if you're going to be there, you can slip into the room next door and watch the best players in the world. Yeah, uh, a little bit of pre-warning, though. The When they used to hold the BCA Open Nine Ball Championships and then the Enjoy Pool and the Generation Pool and all that, uh, the VIP seats sold out in a hurry, and I expect these seats are going to sell out quickly, too. Uh, part of the press release was that tickets were available for sale at playbca.com, and if you want to go watch this event, you better grab those tickets in a hurry. That's true. It sells out. So, uh, But our listeners are forewarned. Go to uh, playbca.com and grab some seats because uh, you don't want to miss these boys. Oh, no. It should be an absolutely phenomenal tournament. Um, that's all I've got, Jerry. Um, do, you wanna, do we want to move on and talk to Alan? Well, I think we should. I believe we've got Alan on the line right now. Alan, are you there? Yes, sir, Jerry. I'm right here. How you doing? I'm doing real good, but you must be the busiest guy in town. You've got the Super Billiards Expo coming up. How's that looking? Well, Jerry, it's looking rather well. Uh, we have a lot of the tournaments are starting to fill up now. We have, you know, amateur open, open to all amateurs. We have mm-hmm. a women's amateur, which uh, we take in about 128 women amateurs to play. 
We also have a seniors event, which we take in over 256 seniors. And we have a juniors wow. event, which we give away two scholarships for juniors, 14 and under and then 19 and under. Hey, that's slick. <laughs> yeah, not to mention, Jerry, we got, also have the uh, Trick Shot Masters with all the uh, great yeah. Trick Shot players from around the world. We also have the Pro Players Championship, which uh, some of the best players in the world will be competing for like a $10,000 first prize. Who have you got committed to play in your uh, in your pro event there? Well, I don't have it right in front of me, but like people like Rodney Morris, Corey Duell, uh-huh. uh, Tony Robles, Ginky is playing, which I haven't really? seen him in the past. Yeah, and so he's he's uh, decided to start playing pool again, which is Good. nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe Thorsten Holman, Mika Eminen, um, a lot of All top players. I know All Archer's going to be there. Johnny Archer also, yes. Yes, Johnny Archer's coming. I, I don't know if Kim Davenport's playing or not because I think he has to take care of their billiard room. They yeah, somebody's got to work. <laughs> yeah, right? But <laughs> <laughs> so, Santos, uh, Jose Perica, uh, Frankie Hernandez, and I might get Mike Zuglin. I'm trying to talk Mike Zuglin into come playing. So uh, hopefully well, he'll come play. You know, good. he runs the Josh Tour, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking well, forward to it. Well, you've got all these great events that people can play in. You've got great events people can watch. But for me, the most exciting thing about the Super Billiard Expo is it gives the everyday guy, the everyday pool fan, the ability to come in and interact with all these custom cue makers and table makers and suppliers of all shapes and and form. And and they get to come meet the guy who makes their cue and, and pick up a great deal on a new one as well. Oh, that's definitely. We have over 150 exhibitors there from the industry, and the best cue makers in the world will be there. The uh, ACA is there, and the International Cue Makers Association also are being represented at the show, and they take over 45 booths themselves. And then we have other cue companies outside of them that are there also, like Viking, and then we have distributors, Mueller, who's a major distributor and a sponsor also. Um, Mueller and Viking are both sponsors of the show. And then there's a lot of little cue companies around that make great cues that people have never heard of. So this is really great for the industry. This is why one of the shows basically started to get the industry and the players and all the people who are fans of billiards to see what we have out there for sale, you know, in billiards and stuff, what they can use, what kind of equipment they can have, and to also meet some of these people that make these products, which is uh, another yeah. uh, nice thing to meet somebody who's made your cue, you know. I mean, how many people have had a queue for 25 years and never even met uh, people like uh, Mucci, okay, or Dick, or Richard Black, uh, right. just to mention some of the queue makers, Danny James. I mean, just queue, queue, people had queues for years and never met the person who even made them. You know? Well, Mike Howerton, you're going to be pretty busy up there with all those events. You're going to be able to keep uh, people on AZ Billiards informed of all those results? I'm actually really looking forward to this event. I've never been to the trade show before. Alan, in in the years that you've ran the event, it's grown larger and larger. Did you ever envision this kind of success when you first came up with the idea of running an expo like this? Well, in the beginning, um, I, I'll tell you a little history as what went on. I was the president of the Professional Players Association. And I had thought we were thinking of ways to, you know, raise money for our association and stuff. And we started to license products. Uh, we, we took in Simonis as our official cloth. Uh, we even had our own official rule book. Uh, we had an official table. as Diamond was coming on as our official table. Um, and the players really, they support uh, other trade shows too, but they're never really making any money. And I thought of a way of raising money is to start a trade show for the players. And basically that's how I get started. Uh, started with this uh, was back back then and we raised money and actually the PBT is the association that I was working with and they were partners with me in the show uh, I put up all the money and did all the work uh, uh, my wife Dawn also worked with me and another fellow I had also Mike McAndrew working and we put on the show and raised money for the association and, and I guess you don't know the history as to what happened but as the years went on uh, things had happened and I got away from the Pro Billiards Tour and the Pro Bears Tour did not want me to use the name. It used to be called the PBT Super Billiards Expo. Right. And what happened is they didn't want me to call it the PBT Super Billiards Expo. So I said, okay, if you don't want it to be called that, then you can't share in the profits. <laughs> you know. 
And they said, fine. You know, they agreed to it. I mean, I sat with Don Mackey and Nick Barner and Johnny Archer. All of them sat right there. And I said, you guys really want to do this? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, fine. So I got it back and it made me very happy getting it back because it went rather smoothly. And it's grown. Every year it has grown. Uh, this may be the first year that it will stay the same, basically, because it looks like it's not going to get any bigger this year, except for the TAP Association, which is the official league of the show. Uh, they've grown. They've gotten bigger. So they've grown every year. As a matter of fact, they're taking eight more tables this year they need. They're bringing in 125 more teams. Wow. So that's, that's big right there alone, yeah. <laughs> so, And it just has grown since then. You know, the first year it lost money because it had a lot of resistance from the industry because the industry's only had one trade show all these years, uh, and the players never made any money from it. And that's basically uh, why this started. So now the second, the second show is basically theirs, so they could have, get, make money from it and stuff. And after the first year, they did. They did make money. So, and it's grown since then. I've always had a pro event there. Um, I used to have the men, and I had. I used to have the women. I mean, and then I got the men. And every year, it's been different. Went back and forth. And again, it's the men this year. Uh, it's a possibility we may have something on Saturday night uh, with the women. It's a possibility. We don't know yet. We're still working on it. Uh, but I always think of new things to keep doing for it and to uh, help make it grow. You know, the trick shots came on about four years ago. Um, got them started on ESPN, by the way. I um, thought it was a good idea to put trick shots on TV and seem to get the best ratings out of everything so far is the trick shot shows. Mm -hmm. So that has really grown uh, great. I work with ESPN and, and Matt Braun with Beers International by bringing you the uh, stuff on ESPN, you see, also. And the expo was televised uh, for years on uh, ESPN also. We always just to get the event televised. And then it got too expensive. Just everything gets too expensive to put on TV. Uh, can't afford to do it. So uh, we just wait and see what happens in the future with ESPN. But the show itself brings people from all over the world, not just the United States. Uh, we've got representation from Germany, uh, Sweden, Australia, um, Japan, China. We have queue makers from China this year, which is really wow. interesting. Yeah, uh, Philippines. So it's really, it's really grown and become a really well-known big show. And um, I thought it was a good idea to make it open to the public. You know, the other show is not open to the public, and I thought it would be great to open it to the public and let them see what we have. And, and, uh, and for those who want to come to your show this year, how about giving us your dates and okay. your location? I know you're by the, the huge... Uh, King of Prussia Mall, but some people may not be familiar with that. <laughs> yes, it's in King of Prussia, and that's in Pennsylvania. It's called the uh, Valley Forge Convention Center, and the dates are March 13th through the 16th. The show opens at 11 o'clock every day, and the exhibitors will close at 8 o'clock on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and on Sunday they will close at 5. Everything winds up around 5 o'clock. And there are lots of hotels available up and down I think you pronounce it Golf Road, but it's not spelled that way. No, it's not. It's G-U-L-F. Isn't it G-U-L-P-H? Uh, yes, I believe you're correct. That is correct, yes. And we have about 12 hotels in the area that we, that we um, try to get special rates for all the people, and they all fill up. So you have an and idea. And is there a list of those on your superbilliardsexpo.com website? Yes, there is, Jerry. Thanks for mentioning that. Well, Super Billiards Expo is not the only thing you've got in cooking. <laughs> Why don't you tell us how the rest of your year is shaping up? Well, actually, in August, August 6th through the 10th, at the same location, I've mm -hmm. put together a tournament known as the Million Dollar Nine Ball Shootout. And the reason for this is to raise the prize money in big tournaments. As you know, a couple years ago, the IPT started doing tournaments with bigger money and right. the players loved it and I actually loved it myself it actually got me to start playing again and I thought what a good idea if we could get some big money into a tournament without trying to go to sponsorship for it and my idea was to try to get uh, qualifiers going on in pool rooms all around the world because if the qualifiers can get a player to qualify the entrance fees are $5,000 if we can raise enough qualifiers around the world we can have huge tournaments, I mean really big tournaments, just like poker does. It's exactly right. the same way poker does things. You can actually qualify for this tournament in five-hour tournaments. 
around the world. Mm-hmm. There's $25 ones, there's $200 ones, all different sizes, and they're all different levels. And the, the way I got this idea was actually from a poker tournament in the Turning Stone, New York, where they had different levels every day. And they mm-hmm. started with a $200 level, though. And at the end, after the $200 tournament, they had a $1,000 tournament. And in the $1,000 tournament, one out of every five players qualified for the $5,000 event, which they were having on Saturday. Yeah. Well, I was playing, yeah, I was playing in the Turning Stone, and an event was 25000 added. Here's a tournament downstairs that has no money added. And on Sunday, both tournaments, the Josh event, which was going on, was thirty-five or 36000 in prize money. Right. With twenty five thousand added, the event yeah. downstairs in the poker room was nine hundred and eighty thousand in prize money, <laughs> and that opened my eyes up to say, why don't I do a pool tournament like this? And sure. that's what's going to happen. August sixth through the tenth, we're going to have a five thousand dollar entrance fee tournament, where every player that comes to the tournament will be guaranteed a thousand. So if you win a qualifier somewhere in a pool room or a bar anywhere you go and play. You've won yourself a thousand dollars, whether you know it or not, because as soon as you get to Valley Forge and playing this event, you are guaranteed one thousand dollars. So if I can get two hundred players from around the world to play in this event, we will have a million dollars in prize money, and all the prize money, unlike poker, poker takes out they charge like five thousand five hundred or five thousand three hundred for entrance fees, and they take that money off the top and keep right. it. I'm not putting any additional money on top of the 5000 The whole $5,000 will go into the prize fund. I'm going to take out of my pocket and get the convention center, bring the tables in. By the way, Diamond is the sponsor, and 860 uh-huh. Simonis is also a sponsor of the event. Right. And I'm going to set the location up, run the tournament for the players, and also give the winner a diamond bracelet that says nine ball on it, just like poker does. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully we can get... 200 players. As of right now, on my website, um, million dollar nine ball shootout, and the number nine, not not uh, not spelled out, it's the number nine, uh, nine ball shootout, uh, has over 65 players signed up for it already. I will be taking entries up to a couple hours before the tournament starts mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a unique format. What I've what I've uh, done instead of playing a, a race to something against each other. What I wanted to do is every player will play the same amount of games the first round. Every player will play 25 games against another player in their group. They will be put in groups of four players. And they will play each player in that group 25 games in nine ball, no matter what the score is. So you actually could beat somebody 25 nothing if you have the opportunity. And after your third round, after your third match, you'll play three matches. So you'll have a total of 75 games. Then I will go down the list of how many people, everybody's played 75 games, how many wins and losses there will be. Basically only the wins you have to worry about because if they've won 56 games, you know, they've lost 19. Right. So you don't have to worry about the losses. And then the cut will be how many wins you've made. Probably be half the field. It'll be a cut of how many many people have won uh, at around half the field, just like in golf does. Golf does the same thing. Yeah. And then you'll know who the best players are. ones yeah. who win the most games. <laughs> so it all depends on how many players I get as as if each round will be that same way. I was thinking of shortening the round after that, making it a race to 20 games, just play 20 games. So I have to decide how many players we get. I mean, obviously, if I get like three or 400 players, it's going to be very tough to do that in uh, four days. So I'd have to make a different format. After the first round, though, the first round will stay the same. And is this open to male and female players? This is open to all players of all ages. If you have a child at home that plays, he's 16 years old, and you want to put him in the event, if you have no problem with him winning money, then that's up to you. It's open to all ages that want to play. It's an open tournament. I felt it that way because I thought it would be good for the game to see all the people, that, all the players that are out there. The women play well enough to play in it, and there's, there's actually kids out there that play nine ball well enough to compete in an event like this where they can make good money. My whole idea for a tournament like this was so that players, <clears throat> excuse me, could have a good payday. I play in, I've been playing in tournaments my whole life. Um, I've won World Championships. I've won U.S. Opens. I've won every, basically every type of tournament I could have won. And there still isn't any money in it. Uh, my idea was that if you're playing in tournaments now and you can finish in the top 16, you should make 30000 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and players don't understand that because of the large entrance fee, there's more money in there for them to win. So you finish in the top 16 and you make $30,000. Well, you have to win two tournaments during the year to make that almost. Because most yeah. of the tournaments are ten or fifteen thousand first prize, most of them. There are some out there that are bigger, of course, but most of them are ten, fifteen thousand first prize somewhere in that area. So you'd have to have to actually win two tournaments. This gives the player out there who doesn't win tournaments an opportunity to make a living playing pool. Because if I my idea is for year two thousand and nine to have three of these. I'm going to have ten ball, eight ball, and either nine ball or straight pool, I haven't decided. I think um Nine ball is kind of like petering out because of the uh, the break. So there's a lot of people right. switch out of ten ball. So <clears throat> I definitely think eight ball should be played. I want to have uh-huh. a big eight ball tournament. I definitely think ten ball should be played. And it's all decision of straight pool or nine ball. Or even one pocket's been thrown up in the air, but I don't know if there'd be a big enough turnout for one pocket. I think eight ball is probably the most popular game in the world today. Yeah, although I'd love to see a straight pool event. Straight pool, people would love to see that, especially for big money. I mean, watching a straight pool, uh, the finals of a straight pool game for like 150000 would be great. I would love it. <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, if I get 200 players, by the way, if I get 200 players in, in the in the million-dollar nine-ball shootout, first prize will be between 150 to 200000 So that will be nice. <laughs> yes, it will. And Somebody no, will be smiling. Yeah, with no money added to it, all money from qualifiers. And what this does, you know, Jerry, this, this actually – this actually increases the business for billiard rooms around the world, too, because people now can see they can have a chance to go and win some money in the tournament. Imagine if I could get uh, the support from promoters and get like 10 to 16 of these tournaments a year. Now mm-hmm. somebody, who finishes, somebody who finishes consistently in the top 16 or the top 24 can make themselves 150000 a year. Yeah, I mean that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> now players can actually, you know, survive on their own, not go to a tournament, finish ninth through twelfth, and be stuck three hundred hours because the hotel and the airplane fare was so high. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what's going on right now. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what's going on right now, and, and and it's a shame. I mean, it really is. But uh, pool players have a lot of talent, and they deserve to make more money. Alan. Um... Now, the players can get information on how they can qualify, and if they just want to pony up the 5000 uh, how they can pay that to enter. Now, how would a room owner get involved in trying to throw a qualifier in their room? A room owner has to promote it themselves. In other words, to their players that come in the room, they also can list it on the website. There is a listing right now on the website of, of rooms around the world that are having qualifiers. So players, all they have to do is go to the website and look at the date and time of these qualifiers and the location. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's, I just noticed that they, uh, Ginky's having one in New York City in April, I think April uh, 13th, that uh, weekend. So, I mean, you can go on there and just find out. Uh, I know there's tournaments in other countries going on also. So players are already trying to qualify for this, and I think it will get more popular as we get closer to the event. I think the closer you get, more like in May and June, you'll start to see more and more qualifiers come up. And don't forget, this is the first time this is being done. Once they see it's going to happen no matter what, uh, I think the, the billiard rooms will start to get behind it. Also, at the Super Billiards Expo, we're going to have a pool room seminar on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock for rooms that are interested in promoting uh, these qualifiers in their rooms and also to get leagues started in their rooms, too. And this is the first time this is going to be, and this is going to be done by Lloyd, Lloyd Schoner, the uh, president and owner of the Tap Leagues. And do you have, uh, is this going to be televised on TV, or is it going to be taped for, for ESPN, or do you have that deal in place? Right now, ESPN is uh, undecided what they want to do this year. They're doing a few tournaments, still the same, the speed pool and the trick shot shows. They're doing that. They're doing a challenge of champions. They have eight hours available, which they do not know what they want to do with yet. They do want a tournament that's set up something like poker, and they do have this tournament sitting in front of them. So there is a possibility that ESPN will come in and televise it. But if they do come in and televise it, Alan Hopkins Productions will not be paying for it. They're going to have to come in on their own to do it. I refuse to pay for it when I'm giving them something in perpetuity, (laughs) and I'm paying for them to do it. Yeah. Yeah, They've gotten rather spoiled in that regard. Yes, they are, and it's our own fault. <laughs> As you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with, but back in the 1990s, they paid us for programming. And when Mr. Mackey came in as commissioner, uh, he thought that it would be a good idea to barter television. Well, what he found out is we can't raise enough money within our industry to do that, and it hurt us a little bit. 
so ESPN got used to us paying for programming. <laughs> so now, right now, we're paying for the production costs of all our programming, uh, which for all pool, all pool is paying for production costs. Right. Which is kind of all a pool in America. All pool in America. Yeah, in America, yes. I don't know. The only America is the only place where you have to pay for your production. I believe that. I'll tell you. I believe that. <laughs> Alan, on the on the topic of, of television and that sort of thing, I mean, you're kind of in a unique position to see how that is changing as close as you work with uh, Billiards International and ESPN. Everyone pretty much feels, and, and I think we all agree, that television is really where the game needs to promote itself in order to to get that interest going and, and to get some additional money in there. In your opinion, are we moving in the right direction with television, or is there something else we should be doing? Um, the one thing good about television is that we kept pool on there. That's one of the reasons why I, I went along with what's going on on ESPN. Uh, if I was president of the Pro Bears Tour and still involved with the Pro Bears Tour, this would not be going on. You would see a tour on television. I would make them televise our tour before they get any other television. And it's mm -hmm. very important that we put a tour on television for the simple fact the only way that people are going to get to know the players is that if there's a scheduled tour that comes on at certain times every week and it has a season, just like golf has a season, basketball, football, everything has a season when they're on television. We don't. We keep putting these special events on TV and we keep showing this in all unorganized time schedules. And there's really everything is taped. Our tour should not be taped. It should be live. Uh, back in 1993, I got ESPN to televise a live event in Vegas, and we televised it live, and it went over great. Uh, it finished kind of short because of the format of the of the, uh, of the tournament. We played winter breaks, which is the wrong way to play because your opponent may not shoot. What sport can you have a match going on? You never even see the opponent shoot. So I know rotate the break is the proper way to play the game gives each player the opportunity to win the match. And it's actually tougher to beat somebody if you play rotate break if they're, if they're really a good player because you're letting them to the table uh, every other game. And I think that if we could get a tour on television, I mean, the movies, anytime you put a movie on pool, it helps pool. If it's, if it's, if it's a good movie on pool, some of them don't really help. And anytime we, <laughs> keep putting, anytime we put pool on television, it's got to help the game. So... That's basically why I go along with what we're going along, and uh, I go along with Matt Braun and Ravens National and, and, uh, and basically kind of like let this happen like that. But I'm not happy about it, and um, I'm, I'm really not. I really want to see a tour on television, and the only way that can happen is if the players get organized and a, and a men's association gets the media rights and says, hey, wait a minute, we got to get a tour and get it televised. And uh, I know that's going to take money, too, but... I have things in mind down the road. If, if these tournaments go well enough and, and I can get the, uh, the, uh, these events big enough to where there's substantial money in it and get like eight to ten of these events going, that can be a tour, and that can be a big tour, and that will attract attention, and you will see some players start to become household names, just like Tiger Woods is, Stuart Sink, and uh, um, all the golfers, uh, Phil Nicholson that are out there. These players are household names because of the golf tour, not because of the skins game that you see on golf, not because of the match play you, you've seen this weekend in golf, because of the pro golf tour out there that's played. Mm -hmm. And just like tennis, uh, the same way Federer is a household name in tennis, they've done this through tours, not through winning special events. And going back to your comment about how billiards is one of the only sports out there that we fund, you know, that, that we fund all the production costs, if you were wanting to move towards ESPN funding that, how important would it be to have the WPBA behind you? Or, or another way of asking that question is, how much would it hinder what you were trying to do if the WPBA were continuing to give their footage to ESPN and cover the production costs? Well, just to go back a little bit in history, when when the men boycotted ESPN with Mackey and stuff, I had sat down with ESPN and I told them to televise the women. I said the women will get good ratings. They have a tour out there. They're organized and they're easier to work with because there's less of them. I think the women are a great asset and I would want to work with them if we could. I don't know if that can happen, though. Uh, they are, in, they are actually in a better seat than we are because they are wanted by ESPN. ESPN does want to televise them. 
but they won't stand on the ground and say, wait a minute, stop. You have to start paying for our tour. You know, the NFL sits down with ESPN and, and, and networks and talks multi-multi-million dollar deals for their, for their season. I mean, I'm not saying that we're that big, but it sure, is worth, it sure I think, is worth a couple hundred thousand to have pool on television, uh, especially the, the uh, women's tour in, in a tour fashion and, and a men's tour. And it would be nice if we could work together, but I don't, I don't know if that would work because it would involve the women standing behind the men and the men standing behind the women saying, stop, no more television unless you start you know, putting a tour on television. We'll give you these special events, but we want our tour televised also. You know, Alan, the, the problem that I see with your scenario is that the players would have to stand together uh, to make TV come around and, and do the right thing, and the players have never stood together. Um, if you have their media rights uh, this month and go to ESPN and say, we're demanding money for these media rights, and next month another promoter comes along with a three-stop tour that promises money to the players, uh, they'll give their media rights to him. And, um, and, and then your negotiations go out the window. So I'm not, I'm not sure that, um, you know, it's, it's a great dream. I just don't know that it's realistic to expect pool players to stand together when they never have in the past. What do you, you know, you know, snooker, what kept the snooker players together? Money. If we raise enough money, money for pool tournaments, yeah. players, they will stick together. There's no money in pool right now for the players. But if we get enough money out there, did you remember the IPT tour when he put it together? Did sure. you see the players? Did you players? Did you see the players? How fast they stuck together then? Believe me, they will come together and they will support what's going on if they see they can make a living and make money. The problem is right now you can't expect the players to stick together and support something when they're not making any money from it. They yeah. just can't do it. They have to get a job. They have to go do what they have to do. And that's just a simple way. We've got so many men players out there. Uh, that if you get all the top players together and some other company wants to do pool tournaments, uh, and I'll use a, a good example, let's say the BCA. When the players uh, got away from the BCA and went on their own, the BCA still ran their tournament, and they took weaker players and still had it and still called mm -hmm. it the BCA U.S. Open, follow me? But yet the great right. players were there, follow me? They separated yeah. us, okay? Yeah. This is why if you bring in enough money and can start to raise the money to where there's big money in tournaments, the players will support that tour. I know they will because I'm a player myself. I know they will. They'll, they, they'll, they'll more than love to support that tour. I would, I would like to see that dream come true because the whole <laughs> idea of pool paying their production costs to be on TV, to me, has always been absurd. It um, mm -hmm. it makes no sense at all. ESPN airs that footage over and over and over again. They make good money on it. There's no need for them to be uh, the only one <clears throat> making out. Jerry, you're driving down the highway. You come to a toll. You go through the toll, and you don't get any penalty for it. You get through the toll free. The next day when you come to that toll, you're going to go through it again for free. And you're going to keep going through it for free until something makes you pay for it. Right. The same thing. If we're going to keep giving it and giving it and giving it away, why shouldn't they keep doing what they're doing? <laughs> you know? Right. Why shouldn't they keep but doing you know, it? I think the only way you're going to make that happen is to go to another network. If you can get Fox to take pool on and not pay for it, then ESPN would wake up. But I don't well, know how you get them to change horses in midstream. Well, comparing ESPN with Fox is a big difference. You know, ESPN is the number one sports network out there. And uh, I think, you know, you want to be on ESPN if you can. I mean, why not be on both? There's enough pool for everybody. Um, yeah. We've got tournaments all over the world. You know, it's, it's you know, Jerry, it's, it's, a sad, it's a sad situation. But I think you've got to start from the ground floor and not worry about that part of it right now because that part will fit in. I think the most important part right now is to try to raise money somehow for, to get bigger tournaments. And that will attract yeah. attention. That will attract not only TV, that will attract corporate America, too, you know. Corporate yeah. America sees we start having pool tournaments for over a million dollars. You know, they want to get involved with that somehow. That starts to become very prestigious. Alan, we've been concentrating on the, the business side of things, but you also have a very successful career as a player, uh, and you've, you've accomplished, as you mentioned, world championships as a player. Are you proudest of your accomplishments as a player or in the industry on the Super Billiards Expo and on the creating events side of things? My first, was, my first love was as a player. Uh, my idea was to win you know, the world championship and 
you know, the U.S. Open. And in 1977, I won the World Championship, and I won the U.S. Open in the same year. Uh, of course, I didn't get player of the year or anything because I was in, you know, in against things that were going on at the time. Uh, since then, I've won, you know, the World Championship in Japan, the U.S. Open again, the World Nine Ball Championship in 1983, and I've won these titles again, but that was my first love to play. But you have to make money. Uh, and when I got involved with the MPVA in 1990 and stuff, and, and things were just, it seemed like the players were starting to come around and get organized. And I thought, well, this may be a good time to get involved and, you know, help out in any way I can. Uh, I've been in business my whole life. I, I didn't just have the expo and stuff. I've been in the pool room business my whole life. Uh, I had two pool rooms. And the second one, each pool room I owned the building in. But the second one I made a nice score with. Uh, I owned a big building with like over five acres of land. And the town wanted my property. So I made that money so I could start the expo, okay, and make that original investment. And I thought there was good ideas out there to help the sport get organized. I mean, we never had licensed products before um, until, you know, 15 years ago or so. We never licensed any products. I mean, we were told not to, <laughs> you know. So how are we going to make any money? How are organizations that are involved in the tour going to make any money if you can't start licensing products and, and uh, have your own trade show and, and, uh, and make money from it? So I, I'm proud of both, you know, both careers. I would basically like to play pool. I would like to be able to go and play pool and play pool for a million dollars. I'm going to play in my own event in August. I'm going to try to play in it. Uh, I've laid off the game for about, you know, eight, nine 10 years almost, I've let off and didn't compete because there really wasn't any organized tour out there. When I came and tried to play in the IPT, of course, my game was tarnished a little bit because I really didn't have the desire anymore. Uh, he made me get the desire. That tour made me get the desire to play again. And uh, I've been playing lately. And unfortunately, I'm a little bit older now and my eyesight's not as keen, but I still have the knowledge behind me. And I still have won all those titles that nobody can take them away from me. And I'm very proud of them. I have, I have a rec room at my house that has all... You know, all my trophies and uh, the U.S. Opens and the Challenger Champions for $50,000 that I won in Las Vegas at the Mirage. Uh, I'm proud of these tournaments. And the Camel, I won a, tour, a Camel Tour event. I won an event on C.J. Wiley's tour. Uh, so, I mean, I still, I still can play, but it's just, it's just hard to get the, the desire to go around. To be a great player and to be a champion, you have to go around and play. You have to go play other good players and play in a lot of tournaments and stuff. And I just now don't have that time to do that like I did years ago because that's all I wanted to do. Now I have other things in mind. You know, I work work with uh, I do a couple of shows at Valley Forge because in June I have another one which is basically for amateurs. It's just an amateur event which is going on also uh, with the APA. So And the APA will also be there in June. But I, I guess to say I'm really proud of my accomplishments in the game of pool because uh, there's a lot of business people out there but there's not a lot of world champions out there. There's not a lot of U.S. Open winners. You know, and I, I'm very proud of what I've done in pool and the knowledge that I have of the game. Uh, I mean, i seen that in Kentucky when I came there and they were shooting the five racks. Were you there, Jerry, when they were shooting the five racks in one pocket? Nobody, mm -hmm. knew, how to, nobody knew how to break the balls the right way. When I came in right. and showed them how to break them, they started doing higher numbers. You know, nobody knew how to break the balls. And as soon as they seen me break them, they all started breaking the same way. So I know that I still can show these a lot of these players, you know, new things that I have knowledge of around the pool table because I have also a lot of knowledge about different gaff games on the pool table, games that are very tough to win at that a lot of these players haven't even seen yet. So I'm proud of my pool career and its knowledge, basically. I think that would be what I'm mostly proud of. Well, Alan, we certainly appreciate your time today, and both Mike and I look forward to being with you here in just a matter of days. Um, good luck to you between now and then. I imagine you're not going to get much sleep. <laughs> not during that week, anyway. <laughs> That's right. Well, looking, for, looking forward to seeing you there, Jerry, and uh, Mike, you too. Well, Alan, thanks again, and uh, like we said, we'll see you at the Expo. Well, Mike, it's always good touching base with Alan because he's always got so many balls in the air. I really do like the idea he has of his million-dollar tournament um, because if he could get like he said, two or three of those going each year, uh, the top players would have a way to make a living playing pool. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, more power to him. Yeah, somebody's going to have to do it from within the industry, and I don't see any reason why that someone couldn't be Alan Hopkins. Uh, he's been known for for years now as the hardest working man in the billiards industry, and I can certainly see why.
Yeah, uh, how he's gotten all these projects going over the years, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to give some credit to Don Hopkins, his wife, because uh, I know it must take one very strong support system to pull all this off. I would imagine. And and Dawn's not exactly uh, full of free time either. She's she's highly involved in the junior scene here in the U.S. Yep. That family has accomplished quite a bit for the game of pool. They have indeed. And, well, that's just about it for us this week. Um, we will be back again on your Internet radio with another guest in the next week or so. So do stay tuned to Run Out Radio and check us out at azbtv.com as well as azbilliards.com. I'm Jerry Forsyth, and for Mike Howerton, good day. <laughs>